Welcome to Classical Chats, I'm Tiffany. Today, we have a horn player, and I'm very excited to have a horn player for the first time on Classical Chats, but also to have a conversation with a horn player for the first time personally. I don't know much about the horn, so I'm very excited to talk to Tyler, get to know him, and about his journey with horn. Hey! How's it going? How are you? Good. Um, I might need to put in headphones because I, of course, at this hour that I'm supposed to film, there is a huge construction noise in the background. Oh, I totally get it. I live in an apartment too. <laughs> yeah. Where are you? Yeah. Um, I'm in a, um, I'm in Columbus, Georgia. Ah, I've never been to Georgia. It's a really peaceful place. It's a really nice uh, yeah. for the gig scene, especially like around the Alabama, like Georgia area. So it's like right in between. So mm. it fit pretty good. <laughs> That's good. I like your setup with the mic, and I, I think I read in the notes that you are an audio engineer, also aside yes. from being a horn player. So yeah. we'll definitely get into that. Yeah. So you're completely random, and it's been wonderful also to randomly grab guests from the internet, yes. <laughs> from Instagram. Of course. I just thought you know you're interesting. I've never actually talked to a horn player. To my recollection of being in music for. 20 years almost 19 years i don't think i've actually had a conversation with a horn player well that's and i saw that i know maybe that just shows my pathetic life uh confessing my pathetic life but uh i also saw that on instagram you're very active and showing your practicing and your progress so i thought maybe you would be the perfect introduction to horns for me and also perhaps for my audience i'm sure my audience knows a lot more about horns probably than I do because I always feel like as a pianist all I know are uh, those keys or is those keys so anyway hi hello (laughs) how did you start your journey with classical music this is my first question for every single guest all right so I was about 11 years old um kind of pretty standard story actually um I actually when I was eight years old I went to hear the Atlanta Symphony concert live uh, and they were playing like a simple pops concert with Indiana Jones and Star Wars and all those. And I thought it was super cool. I had, that was my first time listening to live music, like symphony music. And that was inspiring mm. for me. So I, of course, chose a horn because I thought, hey, Star Wars has a lot of horns in their soundtrack. That's what my dad used to play. My grandma played it professionally. Okay. So I was like, I've got to go for it. Um, so I, I was put on trumpet for like the first two weeks of middle school. Then I stuck with trumpet or for horn for the rest of the time. So... It's been my long stay. What made you switch from trumpet to horn? Well, I guess my band teacher thought I had the ear the ear for French horn uh, because I did have perfect pitch, he discovered. So I was like, okay, that works. That works. Interesting. Yeah, I think from my very limited knowledge, I think it's very hard to produce a sus- um, sustained note in a French horn, right? <laughs> yes. It's very, yes. very easy to go out of tune and waver. Definitely. It's also really easy to, to split notes as well, because a lot of uh, horn fundamentals comes from your breathing and your lips vibrating. Um, and your lips right. are like muscles. You got to train them like an Olympic athlete. You can't overstress your muscles or you can get focal dystonia mm. or other performance injuries. Um, hmm. So how yeah. long can you practice? Not even how long do you practice, but how long can you practice because of that straining in your I don't know, right. your vocal cords or your oh, it's, it's It's mostly, <laughs> it's mostly your lips. Um, your lips yeah. get the most fatigued out of all of it. 
Um, mm. But it, it depends on what tension you're holding in your body typically because you can have some kind of chest tension if you feel like, or shoulder tension if you feel like your breathing is really light and heavy. Um, or there's even throat mm. tension where you can like close off your throat and not really get a sufficient amount of breath. Um, so mm -hmm. um, basically when it comes down to it, when it comes to playing horn, you really have to focus on on your consistency of air, like your 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 air speed, and and it's really easy to crack notes because at the partial series, uh, the harmonic series is really close together. Especially the higher up you get, you can pretty much play scales using only like your fingers and your lips, and like you don't really have to press anything down, and you can play an entire scale basically. Mm. It's really cool. Yeah. I, that's cool. I don't know anything about horns aside from the fact that, yes, there are not that many keys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've also heard even professional level horn players have a hard time not cracking sometimes. I, I can hear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 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 a high pressure instrument, especially getting notes to like attack initially because your tongue does a lot of things. Uh, we have to think a little bit like a vocalist, actually, when we're playing. We use syllables uh, when we're when we're vibrating higher, like we use the E syllable. And then when they're doing like lower notes, like we use like more of an O shape. Like so it's 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 a lot of vowel shapes, um, but we don't do a lot of movement here. So it's a lot of things to think about at the same time. Yeah, that already is giving me a lot to imagine because I, I, I can't actually imagine what it's like in the very beginning when you learn horn definitely it's a lot of trial and error at the beginning um yeah it's, it's it must hard not to get sound very sound. pretty no no it sounds like a bunch of dying ducks i'll be honest <laughs> all right so violins is like dying chickens and ducks is uh dying ducks is horns pretty much got it pretty much um but usually when it comes to beginner horn players a lot of their problems is too harsh of a tongue um because what does that mean so basically their tongue is like instead of uh, like there's there's uh, lots of different syllables you can use with your your tongue as well so uh when it comes to articulation um typically a lot of people like to use really light um things so your tongue basically meets the roof of your mouth where your teeth meet the roof of your mouth and it's just like a mm -hmm. very light release and your airflow is, is always staying consistent like you don't stop your air in between each articulation like it's a continuous stream um, and that's something mm. that a lot of younger players don't really get because they stop their air. They go, ta, and it's like a dead release. So you have to pay attention to the mm. decay of your notes and a whole bunch of other things. Mm. Well, it sounds like you have gathered quite an extensive knowledge of the intricacies <laughs> of making a beautiful sound in a horn. So yeah. at what point did it transition from just doing it in school and the Star Wars inspiration into doing it professionally? So basically... Um, well, some, some professors uh, from my school, actually, uh, we have like what's called district honor band. So like every um, district in Georgia has like their own kind of honor band thing. And um, the professor of Columbus State University, uh, his conductor, his name is Dr. Nix, Jamie Nix. And um, he came down and conducted us playing a couple pieces. And he was really awesome to work with. And I had done all state auditions. Uh, in the past, and I had made like second chair because I studied with a guy from Berlin Phil. Um, he really, really helped skyrocket my playing. Um, he's a substitute horn, goes in regularly. Um, but yeah, um, so crazy. he was really what jump started my my whole thing because um, he like I only studied for like a year and a half with him, and then I was off to college. Um, so in that time, he really helped shape my phrasing ideas, and I got a little bit of a European horn influence in my sound currently still. 
Um, so what does that mean? A European influence. So basically, I, f- I feel like European players specifically have like a really bright and soloistic kind of characteristic to their sound, whereas American oh. horn players typically have a more collective like section sound. It's totally different. Wait, that almost describes the difference between American pianos and German pianos. I'm mainly talking about Steinway, but also just uh, in general, it's a very clear crystal or sound Definitely. for German pianos in general. But that's interesting that that translates into other instruments as well, or in style of playing at least. Right, right. And I feel like German horn players, uh, specifically my teacher before, had very crisp like short articulations when he was doing staccato whereas american horn players think more more legato almost like depending on what what the context of the piece is like if you're going for like tongue what's it's called tongue stopping uh in between uh, staccato notes so like like it could be da, da, da. and a lot of american players don't have the same like type of lightness that that european horn players tend to have which i think is really yeah. interesting yeah so what are your goals now so you've had this amazing jump uh in your playing and uh, how how old are you in school right oh yeah i'm i'm about 21 i'm studying in the schwab school of music yeah Mm, so how's that going it's going great um the speaking of which the piano professor his name is uh henry kramer you might have heard the name before um yes he played with um matt yes yes he's the uh professor over here he's really awesome um But yeah, uh, we've got a lot of awesome players, uh, like Wendy Warner, the cello player. She regularly is here. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of guest musicians that come in and out. Um, but my goals at this point are to win an orchestral job at this point. Uh, mm. I'm taking some substitute uh, spot auditions coming up soon because there's some orchestras finally opening up down here. So um, mm. those are my goals at the moment. So you're trying to go for an American orchestra or European? American for now. Um, and then potentially maybe a European orchestra. I'm trying to figure out uh, which one would fit best. Mm-hmm. What are some stories if you have of auditioning for orchestras? I don't have that experience. I just know that usually you go in and play some excerpts. Yeah. So usually, well, yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. You go and play excerpts. Um, they're very, very strict about rhythm and time. Uh, mm. and, and good sound, of course. Um, but most of all, if you're not playing in time, if you miss, like, like let's say, a quarter rest or something like that, you, you can be cut immediately. So, so being as consistent as you can uh, mm. is an important thing uh, because there's, there's different rounds to it. There's the preliminary round, which basically is where everybody goes and then they weed out a couple of players that may have some, some, some time issues or, or maybe it's not the sound that they're looking for. And then you get to the semifinal round where that's where they decide, okay, these are the players that can play consistently. And then when you get to the final round, it's really where, okay, who's who's the most flexible in terms of musicality um, hmm. and, and who can do all the things. So they might ask you to play an excerpt again and and play it at a totally different tempo. So you got you to gotta come in really, really prepared for that kind of thing. Oh, wow. That's really fascinating because I, I don't know if you picked this up from specific auditions you've had or if this is really the structure for orchestral uh, auditions, at least for horns, because when I did auditions and competitions for piano, it's never these specific qualities that they're looking for, but it seems so well structured for horn auditions. Definitely, definitely. Um, 
that they do choose a lot of tricky excerpts. Um, like for example, yeah, what are some excerpts? I, I don't know. I mean, I of course recognize the horn when it's present in an orchestral piece, but what are some yeah. uh, classic excerpts that you always have to play? Shostakovich's Symphony Number no. Five, it, the low horn two D section, the boom, 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 like that one is asked on pretty much every audition these days um, because. Mm. Low horn playing is a totally different beast uh, from from playing in the mid register of the horn because a lot of horn low, low horn specialists have to be able to to keep not only a consistent tone but like consistent intonation between different intervals in Shostakovich five because there are a bunch of different leaps and things um, mm -hmm. like like some tritone leaps here and there and so so keeping like consistent time in your head, like don't 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 is what the strings are doing at that time. So you have to keep that in your head, and you have to basically like hear the orchestra while you're playing the excerpt. It's it's a totally different beast. And if you're do you practice with a uh, orchestra recording, then um, well, most of the time I do metronome practice because I want to have like mm -hmm. a, a goal of okay, I need to play it at this tempo, and I have this much leeway. Um, yeah, and and. and keeping that consistent bump 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 like i always listen to reference recordings but it's best to, to practice it with a metronome that way you're you're as consistent as you can be hmm, that's interesting i just uh practiced a little bit <laughs> with the metronome i was preparing for brahms piano concerto and i Ooh. knew that i need to be a bit more in time with my playing because i can't just go all over the place when i'm playing with an orchestra so right. i wanted to improve that specifically with that that purpose um, so, ah, so, uh, Shostakovich, what else? Oh, another one is Brahms too. Um, ba -da 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 it's like a very yeah. popular horn solo. Um, yes. you hear that one so a lot? Beautiful. Definitely. Tchaikovsky Symphony Number no. 5. Ba -da 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 yeah, that one's, that one's another one that's pretty popular. There's also Ravel's Bavon for a Dead Princess, the... So main melody there. Um, yeah. Let me think of other ones. Uh, there's a, there's a ton of them. Uh, there's also Till Eulenspiegel. It's just consistency. It's a hard one. Um, yeah. And then there's uh, there's another one like the Merry Pranks. Yeah, that one's a really, that one's a fun one. Um, and then I there's admire your ability to sing all of the tones. And now it makes sense. Do you have perfect pitch? Of course you do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then there's um, there's also another one, uh, Der Rosen Cavalier. That's one of my favorite excerpts mm. uh, by Strauss. But yeah, those, those, are, those are the most standard ones I've, I've seen on, on list. That made me nostalgic thinking of Rosen Cavalier because that was one of the last operas I saw. Really? Oh, that's mm. amazing. Oh, I would kill to see that performance. <laughs> yeah, I think I did see it. I, I've lost uh, <laughs> count of what I have done before the pandemic in terms of going to which concerts and which operas. <laughs> but yeah, I remember that was a really beautiful um, music. Definitely, definitely. So... You're also a complete no translation whatsoever. You can tell from my style. I just go, so. <laughs> Me too. At what point did you decide to start posting stuff on the internet? Because you are a YouTuber. Yes. And you also post on Instagram. When, why, how? 
Well, I had been posting on YouTube since I was like 13 years old, just like messing around Aww. back in the day. Um, like I play video games every once in a while, like make little tiny animations and things just for fun. Mm -hmm. um, but when I started picking up horn, I was like, this is a lot of fun. So when I was like 15 or so, I got into like um, learning about what's called digital audio workstations. So something like Pro Tools or FL Studio or Ableton Live or Logic, those are all like programs you use to record music or Audacity even. And so yeah. I, I got an interest in it and I was like, this is a lot of fun. I'd like to get into multi-tracking. Uh, so when I was about 16 years old, I started just kind of making electroacoustic kind of things, and I really loved it a lot. So it's definitely something I've kept up. Huh. I would love to hear some snippets if you have any for us. Yeah, I could definitely send some for you. Yeah, yeah that would be cool to feature in this episode, because uh, to me that sounds like s somewhere between a DJ and a, and a I don't know, electronics. Kind of. That, kind that's of. like my idea. That's as far as I know about uh mixing stuff and what is it called digital digital audio, audio workstation workstation that yes. sounds like a very professional <laughs> term that i don't know it's not it's not too much rocket science like once you get into once you start understanding what's called uh signal flow which is like you understand the the flow of connection between like the microphone the cable the interface mm -hmm. or whatever like it, it it's a lot simpler I have a friend who does electronics, so I'm sure that they'll know all about this, but <laughs> I just see a bunch of cables and then a bunch of knobs that you turn up and down and yep. that's as far yeah. as I know. That's pretty that's pretty much what you do. You just turn around knob knobs and, and figure out what works best. <laughs> you integrate the horn with that Definitely. type of electronic stuff. It's really yeah? cool. Yeah. It, you can create some really cool textures. Like uh, I have a synthesizer right here actually. I don't know if I can get it all the way on camera, but ah, it's, it's really nice. cool. Um it has a lot of parameters on it. Like you can you can change the attack, decay, sustain, and release of a note. Um, they have all right. kinds of filters. So like you can you can figure out like which harmonics are in a particular amount of frequencies. So you can like turn it down and like it'll roll off certain frequencies. It's really cool. So do you make your own compositions? Yes, for oh. the most part. Um, I. Whenever I'm making compositions, I actually sit down and just record them. Uh, not the typical, like, oh, I'm going to put this in finale and, and hope it turns out the best. I actually just sit down, record things, improvise it, and it turns out how it turns out. <laughs> mm, that Sometimes, sounds like a really fun, creative project. Definitely. Sometimes it's a lot of minimalism, but I, I like that. But every once in a while, I'll, I'll find a form and I'm like, okay, I can modulate to this key or whatever. That's really cool. Do you see yourself integrating that into your professional career? Oh, definitely, someday? definitely. I'd love yeah. to. I'd love to keep up making videos and uh, and and I also make covers of pop songs every once in a while, just just for the general audience. So I have a, a mixture of content. Hmm, that's cool. Everyone is always very interested in pop and the crossovers, so I'm sure they would love your content. Definitely, I love I love crossing the bridge between classical music and and regular music that people listen to because uh, I think that's really important in today's society like um, trying to to marry the concept of okay what can orchestras do to to keep the industry alive and and keep people coming back into concert halls or even going outside of the concert hall you know um, mm -hmm. could be a really healthy thing for the industry yeah speaking of which I'm asking this uh, just on the spot and this is something that I've been doing for a lot of guests this year is to ask them to pick a few pieces that they would recommend for the audience who might not otherwise pay attention to horn music. 
as its own genre or as its own other than just having it be one of the sounds of an orchestra so right. are there a few compositions that you would recommend or recordings that you would recommend Oof. you can think just on the spot feel free to take your time i know yeah. this is very much on the spot like a test <laughs> yeah yeah um well if you want a, a piece that features a lot of horn um there's a really cool brass piece that's called fanfare liturgique by henry tomasi um and it's really I've heard really of cool that piece before it's it's like a French impressionistic piece and it's super awesome. Like horns have a lot of material. We played it recently. I could send over the recording that my school did as well uh, if you'd like to use yeah. that. Um, also, Der Rosen Cavalier has a ton of horn parts, um, a, a ton of beautiful soaring horn lines. Uh, but if you want like a horn solo specific piece, uh, there's one that I played on my recital that I really enjoyed. It's called Sonatine by Berthold Hummel. And um, he's a lesser-known composer. I mean, there, there's a Hummel composer who writes for trumpet mainly, um, but mm-hmm. this is a this is a lesser-known one. And I found him, and I was like, I got to put this on my recital. It sounds really, really cool. Um, so there's that. Um, there's also a really pretty piece by Carl Reinecke called Nocturno, um, and it's gorgeous, gorgeous uh, le- uh, melody. Mm. So those are, are these- the top three. Wow, that that was a really good list. You'll definitely have to remind me and and text me all of the names because I (laughs) um, definitely don't know a lot of the music outside of the main ones or the piano ones. So it's very nice for me to get these suggestions from you and everyone on Classical Chats. Mm, Do you have a favorite piece? Tchaikovsky Symphony Number 6. That one is is my favorite in terms of uh, horns. (laughs) It's a lot of fun to play. But it's such a dark piece. I mean, it the, is. The story behind that piece. and Definitely. It's not something that I would be like, let me listen to. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fun to perform it. it. It's one of the ones where performers are happy. Maybe not the audience as much, but but the performers get a lot out of it. Um, mm. Have you played it in orchestra? I have not that? played that one. I've played Rosen Cavalier before uh, the whole suite. Oh, wow yeah it's 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 a blow it's definitely a blow but it's enjoyable like i got chills every time it got to like the middle section of it and it's it's really quiet and then it all of a sudden it turns into venetian waltz it's really cool yeah i mean it's wonderful hearing how excited you get talking about horn music and pieces that you're uh loving with the horn sections so definitely that's great Mm, anything you'd like to share with the audience um about horns about your journey yeah sure um because you're my first horn player on classical chats (laughs) my pleasure um so well there's there's two different types of wraps of horns so there's there's what's called gyre wrap horns which are a little bit lighter um with their wrap and then there's crisp wrap horns which is like this standard con 8d here um wait what's a wrap horn like oh the wrap is like the the how all the 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 corks and everything like all the stuff in between Ah. that's that's the wrap so like some like this one is more of like an open like bigger heavier wrap and then the other horn that i have is like a a tighter wrap basically Hmm, i didn't know that you would own two horns yeah um well the, the main reason is is it's good to have a backup uh in case something happens to your primary horn um because if you get like a dent or a ding in the wrong place it can totally alter the sound of your your horn or very subtly but you notice like maybe there's a rattling sound or something uh mm. so that's something you have to to pay attention to and also hor- ma- maintenance on horns is something you definitely have to pay attention to um 
like you definitely have to get like valve oil. Like I recommend Hetman's, which is a really good valve oil, uh, and, and slide grease so that your slides don't get all weird and gross and they're not able to move. So it's it's a lot that goes into it, and and you have to give your horn a bath like every month or so. It's a lot of Wait, maintenance. What does this mean? Oh, what so giving a horn a bath. So you literally take out all the slides and you you get like lukewarm water. You you like go into the bath, you get it like actually go to a bath and like you put it in there and you use what's called a snake and you run it through the lead pipe and it goes out of one of the tuning slides and that's how you get some of the stuff out of the horn. Uh, oh wow. Wait, I didn't it. know that you could submerge a horn in in water. Yes, if you take out all those slides, like there should be no problem. Wow, I feel so stupid not knowing this, but <laughs> I, I because you know you would never have water on a piano. Oh no no no! <laughs> so for some reason, I, I just thought wouldn't you would never have a uh, your instrument contact with water, otherwise it would just go rusty. So yeah, this is very interesting. I I had no idea that you would do that. Definitely. Does the moisture um affect the timbre of the sound in what way because um, i know for piano um if it gets really humid like for example now it's getting warmer and warmer and there's a lot more moisture in the air so it gets a little bit slower in action and the sound is a bit more uh, muffled interesting but for horn what is that like it's totally different uh in terms of moisture the only kind of moisture that really bothers us is spit <laughs> so we have like spit valves you'll see horn players sometimes if they have like rest in an orchestra like they'll be like low into it right or yeah to, like, like get something out yeah like sometimes we have what's called spit valves which lets us like blow into the mouthpiece and it's like a quick way to get rid of spit but then you'll see other players like turning around their horns and trying to empty it out of, and pulling out slides and stuff um so that's, that's one one of the things that reminded me uh, a few days ago. I saw the documentary of uh, Leonard Bernstein. Oh, awesome! Uh, I don't know if you saw uh, it. It was on YouTube of him conducting West Side Story, and yes. in the middle of the recording session, or in the rehearsals, one of the horn players used it to scratch his back. Which yep, yep, yep. I've seen that video. <laughs> it's very iconic. Um, <gasps> but when you were talking about affecting the timbre of the instrument, uh, usually what happens is when it's cold outside we get really flat and then when it's sharp we get really like sharp uh when it when it's yeah. hot so it's a weather effect we're playing a little bit why is that this is a very dumb question i know for <laughs> pianos the strings expand and contract that's pretty uh, much the same what happens on the but what contracts and what what expands for so your horn basically all the slides uh, like when it gets hot, they all like kind of expand a little bit. It's like very, very subtle. Um, so it feels yeah. easier to play actually during the summer than it is during the winter. Because during the winter, I mean, you have several factors going against you. You got colder weather, maybe the air is a little bit thinner. Um, and also the the horn is, is tighter, so it's easier for your mouthpiece to get stuck. Um, there's a lot of things that make it harder to play in the winter for sure. But um mm. But it, 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 it tends to get flatter if you leave it in a cold place. Um, so you have to actually physically warm it up by playing like long tones and have a couple of flexibility exercises. Ah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Wow, I'm learning so much about the horns. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm just seeing it in the background. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering, do you need to do temperature control, humidity control? Not really. Um, is it able, able to, to adjust? Expand? Um. That's a good question. I don't think... Because, like, for example, for a piano, if it gets too dry, the soundboard could crack. Right. In well, the most extreme case. 
I don't think I've seen a horn crack due to temperature because it's pretty durable in that sense. Um, well, it's I mean, not like a woodwind. You swim in the bath, and I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can't put a woodwind instrument in a in a bath because it would definitely crack. Like woodwinds have to worry about like cracks in their instruments, like especially oboe players or clarinet players. If it gets too cold, their instrument could literally split in half. Um, so hmm. they have to deal with with keeping their instrument in a in a good temperate place. Um, preferably like room temperature would be the most ideal situation for them. But as horn players, you don't really have to worry about that all too much. Um, because we're able to get a sufficient amount of air moving in the horn and that typically warms it up, even if it's cold. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So it can withstand the changes yeah. even when it gets flat or too sharp. Right. Just... And, and usually when, like, for example, I've seen the Chicago Civic Orchestra or Chicago Symphony Orchestra, even when they play outside and it's really cold, like they're all flat together. So they, they play in tune <laughs> with each other. Ah, so they don't even try to adjust the pitch when it's flat no not really if it's if it's convenient they all just play flat together huh that yeah. is very interesting yeah well i guess it's not the case if they were playing with other strings right? definitely definitely if, if, it, if they were in an orchestra they'd they'd usually be inside um yeah. but it, well nowadays though outdoor concerts yeah. are becoming a thing have you played in any outdoor concerts i have not yet well i mean i've played like some duets with a couple of friends like my brass quintet we've gone out and played some outdoor gigs every once in a while um brass quintet yes i didn't know you have that oh we got we got plenty of things uh their horns also tend to play in woodwind octets so we pretty much act as the tuba it's like usually uh two flutes a, an oboe a bassoon and a horn so mm. it can turn out really, really cool. Um, it's an interesting sound. And then there's brass quintets, which consist of a tuba, a horn player, uh, two trombone or two trumpet players, and one trombone player. That's cool. I mean, I knew that they existed in the general <laughs> platonic sense, but I, I didn't know that you were uh, doing chamber music as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've, I've been doing a lot of chamber music these days. Uh, and our brass quintet, we actually like tour around uh, Atlanta, actually, and kind of around Georgia. Oh. So we call ourselves the Perimeter Brass because we're kind of all around Atlanta. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty cool. But um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So it's kind of a fun thing for you to do, but you would still like to be an orchestra player. Definitely. Um, that, that's my goal. Hmm. How come? Um, well, I mean, I've always loved uh, playing in orchestra settings. And I, I mean, I do love teaching private lessons as well. Um, but I think the thing that really gets me going is, is playing with a full string section. Uh, that's the mm. thing I miss the most these days because we, we do have orchestra, but it's in like a different capacity. So, so in our school, we have like, um, this two different string orchestras are going on. It's like a red and a blue orchestra. So they divided up the string players evenly like that. But what our conductor did decided to do for this semester was he had us basically the brass were all in their own sectionals. So it was only brass playing a bunch of, uh, standards. And then all the woodwinds would be playing on a different day, doing all the standards for for them as well. So it was a good chance mm -hmm. for us to get exposed to a lot of repertoire in a semester that we wouldn't get to, to usually touch. Mm, that's nice. But yeah, I can also imagine how much more overwhelming in a good sense when you're part of an orchestra. Definitely. And to have I mean, even when I play with an orchestra, which has been such a long time ago, I don't even remember when I last <laughs> played an orchestra, but to be a part of the envelope of the just immense colors, it's always 
so special. So right. I can imagine why you would want to be in an orchestra. Definitely. I'm, I've also enjoyed playing with brass as well. I mean, when we have the sectionals, it's it's kind of weird because we're, the strings are missing and there's a lot of parts maybe in brass that are just like accompaniment to the strings. And sometimes it just, it sounds it sounds like so much is missing when the strings aren't there sometimes when the violins are doing like something really long and like high and stuff it's just like kind of like I miss tearing it. at your tearing at your heartstrings <laughs> exactly exactly hmm. yeah that is one thing that i mean the, one of the many things that pianos cannot do is uh, have that overwhelming pulling at your right. everything kind of well, effect they do have a they do have definitely have a beautiful sound i mean there there's like the um there's like a Celeste, especially is played a lot in orchestras as well. And they have some really gorgeous like parts, especially in Rosenkamp. Oh, yeah. but, well. but it's always really gorgeous when it's melt with the orchestra somehow right. or like a, creating a contrasting effect. Definitely. Can, I think it, of uh, Scrab, Scrab and how those. Definitely. Right, definitely. And I mean, also in Harry Potter as well, um, use, it, mm. that, use that as an extended instrumentation choice. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Back to references of movies. <laughs> it's like we're going in, in the circle from it's where we began. All a full circle. It's kind of perfect. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean, I've I thought mean, about being in LA um, as a studio musician, but it requires really, really good rhythm. That's my primary concern is rhythm, <laughs> especially yeah. when it's coming to those jobs. Because I heard it's literally a call basis. Like if you miss a call, like you don't get the gig, basically. Um, and it's it's a very much connection scene, apparently, in L.A. Because my professor, uh, she freelanced there for about two years. And she was the semi-finalist for New York Phil in 2016. But, like, when she was telling me about, like, playing in L.A., it's it's a stressful environment uh, for musicians, especially because you have to you have to know people and you have to work with the people like consistently and you have to be very consistent about your playing. Otherwise, you're not going to get the job. Mm. Pretty much. Yeah, a lot of the music industry I've been learning is a lot to do with networking and connections. Definitely. And also the teachers you study with can definitely have a big influence on on your job as well. Like, oh, this per I see on the, your CV or your resume that you studied with this person and this person, and they have a better idea of, of where your sound is coming from, essentially. Oh. So the tradition really matters. Yes, definitely. But also another thing is every horn player's sound is different. Um, like everybody should have a sound in their head. Like maybe they are listening to a famous horn player like Stefan Dorr or Sarah Willis or Andrew Bain, um, countless other horn players. Um, but they typically, somebody has to have a certain sound like the, I want to sound like this. And how do I get to this sound uh, is a mm -hmm. big thing that a lot of people have to have to wake up and realize. So um, chasing your, your particular sound is a hard thing to do, uh, especially when you're dealing with any kind of tension issues or there's something physically not happening and you want to sound a particular way and you see somebody doing it and, and we learn a lot by replication. So it's, it's, it's a harder thing to do when you're not understanding what they're doing to create the sound that they're making. Hmm. Well, it sounds like you're in a great track into finding your sound and finding your job in orchestras so definitely good luck thank you how many years left do you have in school before you jump out for um, the real world <laughs> probably about two or three just to play it safe ah okay well so. good luck i mean it sounds like 
very exciting. You have so much passion. I can tell just from the way you talk about the horn. So definitely I'm excited for you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I learned a lot from Tyler. I hope you learned a lot about the horn and about the many interesting things about the horn, like the bath. <laughs> I had no idea about this. I feel very stupid. But anyway, I hope you learned something and had fun listening to this episode. Be sure to check out our other episodes of Classical Chats on YouTube and or on your favorite streaming platform for a podcast. If you want to know more about Together's Classical's endeavors and current fundraising and what we're doing to give back to the community of classical music, please check out our website www.togetherwithclassical.org. Thank you very much. In the meantime, I gotta go practice. So uh, thank you for listening. Bye.